So good morning. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance and extremely grateful to be with you on this sunny, fall, crisp day. So we're in October and uh, trick-or-treat season is coming up later this month for those of you who go trick-or-treating. I have been like scarred by some trick-or-treating experiences in my life, Um, not because of the costumes or anything associated with Halloween, but one year when I was about eight years old, my parents took us trick-or-treating, and I don't know if Now and Laters were on sale at CVS, but it was like people were giving away Now and Laters like, like crazy. So my parents, every year, we would basically take off our pillowcases and walk around the neighborhood, and I walked home that night with a pillowcase full of Now and Laters. Against better judgment, my parents dropped the pillowcases on the floor and walked away. My brother and I, that night, ate so many now and laters that if I were to smell a banana now and later right now, it would be exorcist projectile vomiting all over the place. I was so sick. I've never been that sick in my entire life. Now, one thing I learned that night that has carried with me throughout the years is the freedom that I had that night to indulge in my appetite without limit. That wasn't freedom. In a way, it was just a temptation for me to be my own greatest enemy. I was consuming and eating my own destruction bite by plasticky bite. Now, since that day, unfortunately, it has not just been now and laters that I have been messed up by, but rather my appetite for other things that in and of themselves aren't bad, but when those appetites have been left unchecked, It ruined me. Your appetites, in and of themselves, are are not a bad thing. Our appetites, you know, uh, what is the definition of an appetite? An appetite is a strong desire or liking for something. Now, for many of us, God has given us, for all of us, God has given us appetites. And one of the challenges that presents to us is that we feel that just because we have an appetite for something then that means that it has to be satisfied and satisfied in the way that we want it to be. So there's a lot of appetites that we all have, uh, acceptance, intimacy, sex, inclusion, respect, recognition, progress, stuff, responsibility, achievement, success, the list goes on and on and on and on. Now, out of all of these uh, um, appetites that we have, again, Appetites in and of themselves are not bad. However, the unchecked pursuit of your appetites without restraint will always lead to your destruction. I heard a quote that once said, if you make decisions based on what will make you immediately happy, you're selling yourself to a form of slavery. And so today we're looking at a scripture from Jesus and I want us to take it very seriously. And it is a counterintuitive invitation from Jesus to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Now, our culture preaches that the way to a full life, the way to a beautiful life, is for you to have self-fulfillment and to chase after whatever you want with all of your might. And if there's anybody in your life that's getting in between what you want, cut them off. Now, our culture's version of self-fulfillment is rooted in a very subtle and very dangerous form of pursuing your appetites without reservation. 
Jesus has something to say to us about what it means to follow him. Now, first and foremost, I realize that there are so many people who, for you, following Jesus might be a brand new thing that you're just considering today. You, you don't even know if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus. And today is a perfect opportunity for you to hear what it would be like if you were actually to say, you know what, I actually want to rock with Jesus. I want to take the next step to follow him. And for those of you who have, who have already followed Jesus, made that decision, I hope this scripture is appropriately confrontational. Not confrontational for the sake of being confrontational, but confrontational to the sense that it, it undoes some of the way that we are being formed and discipled by our culture and allows us to be discipled by Jesus. Here's the scripture in Luke 9, 23 through 24. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Now, very briefly, what Jesus is talking about here is something that is so profound and life-changing if we truly understand what he's saying. Jesus is not talking about a version of life that's miserable. And I think that when most people hear self-denial, you think that God wants you to be miserable and not have anything. Jesus is not talking about misery. He's talking about mission. That the way that your life will be constructed is that you view yourself, that your number one allegiance is not to yourself, that your number one allegiance is to Jesus. And so if you were to go back into the Greek and actually parse out what this word deny means, it's not about denying things like denying a fact, but rather it's in, this, in the truest sense of allegiance. If you were to fast forward throughout the, to the end of the gospel, when a man named Peter who was following Jesus denied Jesus, this is what happened. Jesus was about to be crucified. Peter gets scared that what's happening to Jesus is going to happen to him. So someone comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you know him? He says, nah, I don't know that dude. What is, he, what is Peter doing in that moment? He's denying his allegiance to Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying here in the scripture is that you and I would live with our primary allegiance to him. Not that what you want doesn't matter at all. No, it's just that the way you live your life is that you live your life with a sense of calling and that your primary pursuit is Jesus above all else, including your appetites. Uh, one of the best illustrations of this are, are doctors who are on call. Um, and quite literally, Jesus says that everybody who wants to follow him is called. Now, not everybody is called to a stage with a Janet Jackson mic strapped to your face. But every one of us is called. We're not called to do something. We're called to someone. We're called to Jesus, to life with Jesus, that his life, us seeing his life live through us is the primary thing. Uh, we have a family friend who is a brain surgeon, and um, spending time with him, it doesn't matter what day it is, it could be Christmas, every day with him, you just know that he's there in the room, he's interested, but if his beeper goes off, he will stop talking to you in the middle of the sentence and go somewhere else and attend to what he is ultimately called to do. So when there's a doctor on call, they can be having a fantastic conversation, a fantastic meal, everything could be uh, incredible. And then the beeper goes off and they immediately stop what they're doing and they go attend to their immediate, their, the most pressing thing. Why is that? Because they realize that although they want to have a good time, they want a fellowship, that they're on call. And to a certain extent, every Christian has a calling like that. 
that although we might not have beepers strapped to our waist, that we're called, that God wants you and invites you to live your life, to go to your job, to spend time with family and friends, and to nurture the things that God has called you, the, the things that are right in front of you, but we do it with a sense of allegiance, a primary sense of allegiance and purpose that is not about us, but it's about Jesus. So Jesus is not talking about, when he says deny yourself, he's not talking about exclusivity. He's not saying that the only thing you would ever think about, um, dream about, talk about is him. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what is most important to you, that the way you live your life with Jesus controls the other relationships and the other things that you do. So I want to talk about our appetites very briefly, then I want to dive back into the scripture. So three truths about our appetites that I think will be very helpful for us as we try to consider why it is so important that we live a life gladly and willing to deny ourselves. Even the ones that are good and reasonable, all of these pose a threat to our life and to our integrity if left unchecked. Three truths about our appetites. Number one, God created them and sin distorted them. God created them and sin distorted them. So as a result, we should never let our appetites run wild. Now, isn't it really interesting that it's really easy to see in other people how destructive it would be if their appetites for things just went left unchecked? Like, it's really funny um, and kind of convicting. I was talking to my son the other day. Um, he's going to be a lawyer or something. I don't know. This kid, uh, I was like, hey, you're not supposed to, no more iPad for the week. You know, you've had your, your allotted time of iPad time. Too many screens would be unhelpful for you. And, you know, we had this long conversation about him and, like, how much screen time he can and should have. And it's, like, really, really easy for me to see how miserable his life would eventually be if I just let him have his iPad as much as he wanted. He would never get off that thing. While I was telling him about too much screen time, I had my phone in my hand. And I'm like, you should not be on the phone nearly as much as you are. Um, and I'm scrolling. He's like, Daddy, you haven't get, you've been on your phone all day. I was like, no, I haven't. He was like, at the restaurant, you were on your phone? Then he went and got my wife's phone and showed me a picture of me on my phone <laughs> from her phone. Like, at lunch, pop, you were doing this. It's really easy to see in other people what their appetites left unchecked would do to them, but it's really, really hard to see in ourselves. You know what? Some of the things we, we really detest the most about corrupt people in our society are unchecked appetites. The politician who got in office by making you all those promises, I'm going to be for the will of the people. And they get in office, and they're not pursuing anything other than selfish gain. We can't stand these people. But what are they? They're just people whose appetites have gone unchecked. So God created our appetites, and sin has distorted them. Here's what... Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he says, don't you know that the runners in the stadium, they all race, but only one receives the prize. So Paul says, run in such a way, run your race of faith in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown, meaning they do it for present-day results. We're doing this for the glory of God that is eternal. So Paul says this, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Here's what he tells 
uh, this church, and he's telling us. He says, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be qualified. So what's Paul saying? He's basically saying this. Part of the discipleship process is learning to put your body in control, is learning to keep yourself in strict control. Now, for those of you who are getting ready for the New York City Marathon next month, uh, my cousin is training in it, and I- I've watched truly her life go through this metamorphosis where she's, her life is no longer her own. If she wants to run this race, she has to sleep more. She has to eat certain foods. She has to not eat certain foods. She has to train whether she feels like it or whether she doesn't feel like it. In the pursuit of a goal, you realize how much control you need over your body. So, number one, God created them and sin distorted our, um, our appetites. And in order to follow Jesus, we need to get our appetites in check. Number two, here's a big one. Our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Your appetites only know one word, more. You ever had a meal and you're like, yo, I can't, I won't be able to eat until Tuesday. And at seven o'clock, you got your hands in the Cheez-It box. (laughs) Our appetites, they're never fully and finally satisfied. And this is why this is so important. Because they overpromise us and they always underdeliver. They promise us that once you get this thing, once you get this version of success, once you make this much money, once you do this, once you do that, then I'm going to be satisfied. And then you get the thing and you're still not satisfied. You get the bank account that you always dreamed of. And now you compare yourself to someone else and you lament being broke all the time. We hop on social media, we compare our lives to other people. Our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And here's why this is so important. If you follow something that's never satisfied, you will never find peace a day in your life. Imagine having a boss that gives you a to-do list. You, do, you go crazy to fulfill everything on that to-do list, and they say, oh, actually, that's only page one. Here's actually five more pages of things to do. And every single day, you work as hard as you can, and they keep on increasing it more and more and more and more. You wouldn't stay at that job for more than a month. But yet, we do this to ourselves. And we lie to ourselves that one day we're going to reach a point where we're going to be satisfied. And in the pursuit of our appetites, we're selling ourselves extremely short. So Proverbs 13, 25 says this, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the stomach of the wicked is always in need. The proverbial writer is basically telling us that the righteous realize that there is a point that enough is enough, but the wicked, our wicked uh, inclinations in ourselves will always be in need, always wanting more and more. Uh, We are driven by desire for more and we get it, it's never enough. Number three, our appetites always whisper now and never later. You ever notice that about yourself? That you always want things, you don't want, that's why Amazon is successful. We all, okay, I'll speak in the eye, let me speak for myself. There are certain people in society that I would rather not support, but I do. Because that next day, same day shipping, I kind of want it today. I don't want to wait four days for something. I'm not even going to be alive in four days. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I want, I want that thing right now. And in some ways, companies are successful because they know that we have this feeling of we want things as quickly as possible even when you don't really truly need it like that, poss- like that quickly. So our appetites are always whispering to us now and never later. They tempt us to choose the immediate over the ultimate. 
So if you and I want to follow Jesus faithfully, if we want to experience the fullest life imaginable, pursuant to Jesus and how he tells us to live it, then we need to learn to deny ourselves. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to follow after me, let him, let her deny himself, deny herself, take up their cross daily and follow me. And so I want to walk through three brief implications from uh, the scripture for us today that I think will be very helpful and um, we'll move forward in our worship service. Number one, I want to talk about the difficulty of self-denial. You know, it's just like, there's some things in Scripture that I read it, I'm like, yeah, I, I need to do that. I'm going I'm to do a better job of that. And it requires some effort, but it's doable. Um, telling the truth. You know, I, I think about different times in my life where I've under, um, where I've minimized things in my life, and I say, you know what, I want to be a more truthful person. So when someone says, uh, you know, hey, I'm sorry for doing that, I used to say, oh, don't worry about it, it wasn't a big deal. Now I'm trying to learn to say, you know what? It was a big deal. It actually did bother me, but I forgive you. I'm trying to be more truthful. Trying to be more truthful is easy compared to living a life of self-denial because every single fiber in my body doesn't want to do this. There's something about me. You might be different than me. There's something about me that finds it incredibly easy to do the things that I want to do. I've never woken up in, a, I've never woken up in my entire life and had to talk myself out of doing the thing I wanted to do. It's always, it comes so naturally to me. And so there's a, an aspect to us personally that for all of us, it is incredibly easy to be selfish. Now, you may have, uh, many of us, I'm sure all of us, have had bad experiences of being taken advantage of by someone else, someone who puts their appetites over your interest. For some of you, it's your parents. For some of you, it's a coworker, it's a boss, it's a, it's a loved one, it's an ex-loved one where they put their appetites over you. We've experienced their selfishness, and we know how destructive it is. And so being um, a person who actually lives a life of self-denial is difficult just because it goes against every fiber in our body. But it's, it's not just about our natural desires. It's also about something that's more spiritual. It's spiritual because Scripture tells us that there is an enemy whose job it is is to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to take away the seed of God's word in your life. He wants to deceive us. Now, to deceive someone is all about direction. It's not just about a thought. It's about taking your life in a different trajectory, a different course than it would normally, ordinarily go. And what you see this, you see this happen in Genesis 3 uh, with our earliest four parents, Adam and Eve, what the enemy does to them and how he tries to play on their desires. He says this, uh, but the fruit of the tree... But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, here's Eve talking. God said, we're clear here, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Here is demonic deception coming in. No, 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 no. You certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The enemy tries to sow seeds of deception that God wants to withhold good things from you. So much so that when you hear the word self-denial, that Jesus wants you to deny yourself, for many of us right now, the first emotion you felt, the first thing that you felt in your gut was sadness, thinking that your life is going to be worse if you follow Jesus than better. 
What is that? Some of that, of course, is personal, but a large part of that is also the enemy is trying to say, this is what the enemy tells Eve. No, God knows that if you do this, your life is going to be better. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. And so one of the challenges in our lives is that we have a form of discipleship that does not have a healthy version of limitations to know that we have limits as people and that we need to not just allow our limits, but we need to embrace our limits that God has put in our lives because our limits are for our thriving because unleft, unchecked appetites will destroy us. Right now, for some of you, you prayed for something, you've wanted something for a long time, and God tells us to keep praying. For some people, I have seen God open up doors that have blown my mind, that God has heard their prayers, and God is a good father, and God invites us to pray to him. But there are others of you that do not have prayer requests. You have prayer demands. And if God doesn't answer your prayer in the way that you want to, you're not going to follow Jesus. You have friends like this. They've walked away from God, not because of anything big. It's just like God didn't do what they wanted him to do. And so many of us, we, we've, we've, we've bit the apple. We've bit the deception that God's limits on us are for our destruction, not our good. And that's why self-denial is so difficult. Another challenge to our um, self-denial is that it's just, it's just the culture that we live in, there's so much oppression that some people, black women, for example, have been locked out of so many spaces for so long, and now people are telling you to deny yourself. You're like, bro, I've been denied since the Nina da Pinta and the Santa Maria. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> More denial, I don't know how that's going to help. So self-denial is not about you simply laying aside your ambitions. Um, it's not about you accepting oppression. Actually, that's the opposite of it. For many of you, God is actually inviting you to break through that glass ceiling, to speak up about oppression so that others behind you. But it's, it's a different. It's one thing to say, I need to, I need to break through oppression so that I can have the type of vacations I want to have. That's one version that's really selfish ambition. It's another version that says, this is wrong. God, de God desires a more beautiful picture of justice and what this world should look like where people are treated equally. And that even if, like Martin Luther King said, even if I don't get to the promised land with y'all, this is where we're going. And so God is inviting us into all these things. All right, so that's number one. It is difficult. It's difficult because it's just going to take you an entire lifetime. It's going to take you an entire lifetime of very small acts of self-denial before you'll ever notice a life that is living really truly in pursuit of Jesus. Basketball season is starting in two weeks, and I'm very excited. Uh, my fantasy basketball draft is coming up in a couple of weeks, and this is going to consume a lot of my attention. If I don't answer your emails, just please know that I am knee-deep in fantasy basketball research. Um, and one of the things about NBA that I love is how just beautiful of a game it is. However, as I'm thinking about even now with my son, like, watching certain NBA players is the worst thing you can do to teach kids how to play basketball. Like, watching Steph Curry play basketball for an eight-year-old is, like, the worst thing ever. Because Steph just crosses half court, and he just goes like that. He shoots it off his hip, and it goes in. So then you go to courts, and you see kids crossing half court, jacking up threes. And they don't realize that for thousands and tens of thousands of hours, Steph Curry has been working with NBA shooting coaches since he was, like, six and so now, yes, he can do this thing that looks amazing on the NBA court, but we don't have the cameras and the footage from all of the tens of thousands of hours 
of little small adjustments that he was making in a gym when he was two feet in front of a rim, working on his form, perfecting his form. Your life with Jesus, for someone that you admire who lives a life that is so beautiful, you have no idea how many times they've had these extremely small things where they've said no to themselves in the pursuit of a greater version of life with Jesus. And that has led, that has snowballed into an avalanche of a life that is fully submitted to Jesus. Your life, do not look for some major earthquake event. What is right in front of you? What is right in front of you? The invitation from Jesus is not to do something that is world-breaking, earth-shattering, but the small act of obedience right in front of you. And that's going to lead to a life that's more submitted to him. So number one, the difficulty of self-denial. Number two, the result of our self-denial. Denying ourselves leads to our purpose in God. You will never find your purpose by focusing on yourself. Here's why I know this. We are chosen for a purpose, and this is your purpose, that your life would lead to the praise of God's glorious grace. All of creation is meant to give God glory. And so there's something about your life specifically that God has formed, that God has crafted, that is meant to give him glory. This is true from the dandelion to Niagara Falls. Everything that was created was intended to bring him glory, and that includes you, and that includes me. Now, here is the catch to living a life of purpose. We struggle to find purpose because we want to be the end and not a means to an end. I'll say that again. We struggle with purpose because we want to be an end. We want the glory. We want the praise. We want the followers on Instagram. We want the bank account. We want to be an end, not a means to an end. We want our purpose to point back to us, to fulfill us, to make us feel like we're doing something valuable. And in the process, we miss out on purpose because we want to be an end, not a means to an end. 1 Corinthians 12 and 7 says this, that a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Paul was talking to this Corinthian church, and he says that everybody who has placed their faith in Christ has a spiritual gift, that the Holy Spirit of God has lives inside of you, and this Holy Spirit has given you a gift. But here's what the gift's purpose is. It's for the common good. It's not for your good. It's for the good of others. And so many of us, we've missed out on purpose because we haven't, and myself included, we miss out on fulfilling the purpose that God has for us in full because we're not denying ourselves. Check this out. Everything in your house has a purpose, Shovels dig holes, mouthwash kills germs, a plunger has a purpose. And many of us struggle with purpose because we are not willing to let our lives be lived in pursuit of something that is not us. Purpose is about becoming a means to an end, and that end is not you. Here's a quote that I read uh, a couple of years ago that wrecked me, and I hope it wrecks you as well. It was a preacher in Georgia once said this, those who devote themselves to themselves, will ultimately have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. Those who devote themselves to themselves, if you devote yourself to you, at the end of the day, when you are laying on your deathbed, when you are looking around, you will have nothing but yourself to show for yourself. And so Jesus' invitation to us to deny ourselves is so that we can find our greater purpose in him. Now, I don't know all of your stories. Many of us come from very different um, 
uh, ethnic backgrounds, we have different heroes, we have different family heroes that are celebrated. But I know for sure this, the people that were celebrated in your culture, the people that are celebrated in my culture are people for whom their life existed for the betterment of other people, not themselves. Think about Harriet Tubman, the statue right there on 121st, 122nd Street. I can't, I can't even imagine the brutality of the American South during slavery. I can't imagine the freedom that I would feel to cross over into freedom and how completely reluctant I would ever be to go back and get someone else. Her life is worth a statue. Her life is worth pausing at. I see these tour buses come in from different countries and they stop and they pause at her statue. Why is that? Because her life was beautiful. She didn't live her life for herself. She lived her life in pursuit of other people for the common good. All of us want a beautiful life. And the way we find our purpose is by denying ourselves. Lastly, the, the fuel for self-denial. The fuel for self-denial. What will actually make you a person who's able to do this? Now, it's not going to be willpower. Your willpower to be a person who denies himself or denies herself is going to last until about 7.30 tonight. If you say, I'm going to deny myself seven, until 7.30, you're good. You're going to do a fantastic job. After that, somebody gets on your nerves, you're going to go back to the original mode that you and I have been programmed to. Our default mode is selfishness. We need a different type of fuel to overcome the natural gravity that pulls us down. And so, if you've flown in the last couple of years, you've enjoyed cruising at speeds of like 500 miles an hour, going, you know, at 30,000 feet, and you're there, you're relaxing, you're eating the little, the little cookies and, 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 uh, and, and candies and snacks. And, but there is a law of gravity that says that you should always be down, but there's a different fuel that is propelling people there's an engine, there's something that's allowing you to circumvent the laws of gravity to get to your destination. So what is gonna be the fuel for you that allows you to avoid the gravitational pull back down towards yourself? It's not gonna be your willpower, it's the gospel. Last week we talked about desire and our desire. So Jesus says in verse 23, he says, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to follow after me, let him, let her deny themselves. Now, there's two different fuels that we can try to use. We can use willpower, or we can try to accomplish it by um, allowing ourselves to find a greater affection. I heard this analogy that said that if you went into a scientific lab, uh, you can try to take, and if you went to a scientific lab and there was all of these machinery, if there was a glass beaker in it that needed the air taken out of it, you know what the best way to take the air out of something? is just to fill it with water. You don't need like fancy million dollar equipment. All you need to do is take it to a faucet and fill it with something else. And the water will drive out the air and everything else inside of it. Where am I going in your life? The goal of our lives is not to be empty for the sake of being empty. It's not denial for the sake of being of denial. It's filling our lives it's allowing our lives to be full of the Holy Spirit, full of Jesus, full of the gospel, and that will drive out, that will drive out the, um, the selfish ambition that we find so prevalent in our lives. We need our lives filled by the mercy and grace of God 
that will crowd everything else out. You know, one of the things I think about a lot in terms of relationships, the best relationships that I've ever seen in my life are two people who practice something called mutual submission. Mutual submission is this. It is trading in your independence for the good of the unit. I'll say that again. Mutual submission is this. It's, it is trading in your independence what you want to do, what your five-year plan looks like for the good of the unit. I've seen people from different uh, political backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, all the differences. If you have two people that are saying, I will trade my own personal good for the good of the unit, I've seen thriving in those relationships. Now, the opposite of that is also true. I've seen so much destruction where people are unwilling to do that. And if you and I want a real thriving version of faith, we need to learn that God is inviting us into something that's more beautiful than what we can ever get on our own. And so I want to leave us with uh, the scripture from Luke 5, where um, Jesus was with his disciples. And um, as Jesus was with his disciples, this was the first call of his disciples to himself in Luke 5. These men were fishers, and they were fishing by the shore. And the scripture says that um, as they were fishing, they had fished all night, and they didn't catch anything. And then Jesus tells them to let down their nets. And they said, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. But because you said so, we'll let it down one more time. They let down their nets. And scripture says that they found they had the biggest catch of their entire lives. So big that they had to call other people from the shore to help them pull up the nets onto the shore. And here's the part that really messed me up. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Jesus told them, don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. And verse 11 says this. Then they brought their boats to land, left everything, and followed him. I was reading that scripture, and I was, I was like, Lord, I just don't, I don't know if I could leave the greatest success I've ever found to follow you. I don't know that I could do that. I, if you gave me the greatest success that I've always wanted, I don't know if I would leave that to, to follow you. And the Lord met me, I think, in that moment, and I realized that the reason that they left everything, their fuel for leaving everything, was that they discovered that Jesus was better than the best thing they would ever find on their own. And so leaving everything to follow him, it wasn't even a trade in their minds. Jesus was better than the best thing that they would ever find in their own. And so the fuel for our lives is that you would find Jesus to be better than the best thing you could ever find on your own. Scripture tells us that Jesus is not some distant king that lords authority over your life. No, he is the suffering servant who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross despising its shame so that you could be brought back to God. Jesus is the one who denied himself and went to the cross for you and for me. He's already denied himself. He's already wrestled with his, uh, with his own uh, desires in, 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 in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus already did these things, and he's inviting us to follow him, to lay down our own ambitions, our own appetites. You know, when I think about love, Love is always expressed best 
through sacrifice. And Jesus calls us to remember him, to remember what he's done for us on the cross, to give us a vision and a glimpse and something worth following, that we would see him on the cross and we would find his life more beautiful. We would find his sacrifice more beautiful than the pursuits we may have of our own. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I surrender myself to you, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears, my thoughts, my desires, my hopes, and my dreams, my talent, and my opportunities. I surrender it all. Lord, search me and show me the ways in which I am pursuing selfish gain and lead us in the way everlasting. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.